This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer. Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl with you a Sleek Geek podcast. Carl, this podcast is brought to you by the number 13. Which I notice on a little scrap of paper you've got there is probably a date from last year. Mm. 13, of course, traditionally thought by some people to be an unlucky number. Bunch of reasons? Yeah, all different sorts of cultural things. 13 people at the Last Supper, dot, dot, dot. The fear of 13, a phobia, mm-hmm. is called Triska Decca phobia. Tris mm-hmm. for three, try. Deck for ten. Triska Decca phobia. And the fear of Friday, oh. the 13th. Frigga Triska Decca phobia, because Frigga is the Norse. Goddess, mm-hmm. after whom Friday is named. Ah, so Friday thirteen, Frig Tris Deck Phobia. On the topic of fears, it was recently announced in Sydney they're going to build a massive apartment. It'll be possibly the tallest residential building in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Riddle me this: uh-huh. it will go. You can get into the elevator and go all the way up to level eighty-two. There are only 66 floors in the building. Why do you go up to level 82 if there's only 66 floors in the building? Okay, nothing to do with four because that's an unlucky sounding number in some of the Asian languages. Ding, ding, correct. You can play on. There's no level four. Mm. There's no level 14, 24, 34, 40, 41, 42, up to 49, 54, 64, 74 because of the Asian fear of the number four. Which I think in Mandarin, because it's a tonal language, the word for four sounds very similar to the word for death. And so there's been a fear of the number four in Chinese and a lot of other uh, Southern Asian cultures. And they've thought, well, why not just avoid anyone being not wanting to invest in this building because I think it's unlucky. We'll just not have all those flaws. And before you think that's a bit weird, mm-hmm. go into any hotel in Australia and try and get a lift to the 13th floor. Ah. A lot of them, most hotels just don't have a 13th floor. Why would people think it's unlucky? I mean, what happens in real life? Are there more bad things associated with the number 13? Are there more road accidents, deaths, et cetera, on the 13th of the month? Take, for example, the number 87. 87, that's 13 from 100. Which Australian cricketers have always thought was a bit unlucky, and they call it the devil's number because you're only 13 runs short of 100. Really, the Australian... Who would have thought that these fine people would be superstitious? All started back in the 1930s when Keith Miller, the famous Australian cricketer, uh, told a story about how when he was young he'd gone to watch his hero, Don Bradman, batting mm-hmm. and he, he raced out of and just got to the game and Bradman got out for 87. And he started to notice, Miller started to notice all these people getting out on 87 in games as he went up through his cricketing ranks, finally made the Australian team and told them he thought 87 was a bit of an unlucky number and it caught on. Two things... If you go over the Australian Test cricket batting records mm-hmm. and look at people being dismissed in the 80s, people are far more likely to get out for 85, 86, 89, 88 than they are 87. It's not. It's just statistically, if anything, a slightly less likely than average really? score to get out on. But two, later in his life, Keith Miller was telling someone that story and went back to the scorebooks to check. The day he'd gone to watch Donald Bradman bat, no, he almost got 100, he'd actually got out for 89. The scoreboard, the old manual-operated scoreboard had been slow. Miller had looked up and seen 87 and then I said, I'm leaving, let 
Bradman actually got 89. So the whole bogus superstition was based on an historical event that never happened. There's so much of this confirmation bias around when mm. you see something, like you look out the window and, gee, it's raining or it's busy in the emergency ward, therefore a full moon, because there's a full moon outside, causes it. But when you go through the records and you look, for example, at hundreds of thousands mm. of hospital admissions or hundreds of thousands of phone calls or legal events or something like that, you find no peak on full moons. So confirmation bias is when you have a theory in your mind and then when events confirm that theory, you will, or are in line with that theory, you'll latch onto them and confirm the theory, losing objectivity about how many things are happening. So if you convince yourself this red, oh, when I, whenever I'm in a rush, I, oh, this light, I always get a red light here. Mm. No, you don't. <laughs> but you notice it yeah. when it does happen. Or I can't believe, I was, you, I was, I was just thinking about you and you rang me. You think of thousands of people over the space of a week mm-hmm. and, you know, 20 times a week your phone rings. Every now and then one of those people on the phone uh-huh. is going to be someone you've been thinking about. You don't notice every time you think of someone and they don't call. You don't notice every time someone calls and you weren't thinking about them. But every time thinking of someone and a call happen reasonably close together, mm-hmm. you notice it and you're stunned by it. What about the other side where you make such accurate predictions about the future and the way that you do this is you make thousands of predictions and then get rid of all the ones that were incorrect? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I bet on that team? I knew they were going to win. Oh, God, I, knew, I knew this massive upset in the AFL was going to happen on the weekend. I should have put $100 on it. You were not considering the previous 10 weeks when you've considered massive upsets or results that just haven't transpired. Yeah. The old, the old, you know, oh, when it, whenever I'm in a hurry, I only ever break my shoelace when I'm in a hurry. Mm. Well, strictly, you probably do if you're in a hurry, pull a little bit harder on your shoes. Yeah. You might be, but you break shoelaces all the time. Yeah. You don't notice when you're not in a hurry because it doesn't stress you. You just go and get another shoelace. And there's lots of times you're in, in a hurry and your shoelace doesn't break. And you don't go, phew, <laughs> lucky my shoelace didn't break. <laughs> but on the rare occasions that those things coincide, you tend to notice the two of them. <laughs> This latest one came through today where somebody actually predicted every via date stamped websites uh, who would win the most recent American election in what state and by what sort of majorities, whether they were strong or little. And it turns out that what they did was they put out tens of thousands of websites Hmm. and that Obama would win or lose by a landslide or not and then went through all of the states and then after the event got rid of all of the websites that did not have the right answer and said, hey, look at me, I am damn good. So that's not confirmation bias, that's just being dodgy. Yeah, and you can find people doing that thing with uh, stock market shares. So if you have, say, for 10 days, to the 10th is 1,024. So if you make, if you send out 1,024 letters to people and you say, tomorrow, shares in BHP will go up and then for half of them it's right, half of them it's not. Then the next day you send out half as many and you keep on winnowing down until finally at the end of the week there's somebody who's got a letter from you every day telling them what BHP shares will do. Obviously, you must really know what's going on, even though it's only one out of 1,024. You could have a a competition across Australia where you got paired with people and you tossed a coin and Mm -hmm. called the result. Someone's got to win. Right. But if in advance someone said, 
I know the winning combination. It's going to be tails, heads, 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 tails, tails, heads, 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 tails. Warren Buffett in last year's uh, when the when the NCAA, I think it is the the high school basketball, the college basketball mm-hmm. in America, uh, the the sixty four teams play a knockout competition to pick the uh, college champions, and it's called a bracket to try and predict before the season starts the result of all the games mm-hmm. down to not just who's going to win the comp. But, but by how much? No, just each. Go. No, but just each result, each round. So you need to know everyone is going to lose in the first round, and then the second round, these teams will play. Oh. Try to to bracket it all the way through, and it's quite an American tradition. It's like it's like having a a, a punt on the the Melbourne Cup is in Australia. I think a lot of people pick the bracket, and then you figured even half of the results right, you've done exceptionally well. There was an organisation that offered one million dollars, or was it one billion dollars? Some fantastically large amount of money to anyone who could pick a perfect bracket wow and enter it with this finance company and give you all give them all your details your email address blah blah it was a massive data trawling exercise for the finance company and i think warren buffett might have underwritten the insurance for the big payout just knowing statistically that no one's going to pick all 60 if there's 64 teams playing and you need a winner and it's a knockout competition yep. You can easily deduce that's 63 games because every team has to lose one game. Right. Except the winner. Yep. Yeah? 63 games. You've got to pick the winners in 63 games. Wow, what's the odds of that? Well, assuming they're all equally matched, it's two to the power of 63. That's a huge number. It's not quite because some games are quite obvious. Oh, okay, so there might be... But even once, even, even, teams. even once you get a few rounds in, there's going to be some upsets. But once you're a few rounds in... Every team's pretty handy once you get down to your last 16. Mm. There's no way anyone was going to pick it. It was an absolutely safe bet for the organisation putting it out. But the stunning amount of money got thousands of people trying to pick the bracket, and it's exactly what the company wanted. They got all the uh, all the data and everything they needed. <gasps> Who would have thought that gambling companies know how to do mathematics? <laughs> That's one of your favourite statistics, isn't it, that when, you, when, the, when the lotto gets up to the big numbers... And just say, if you've got to pick six numbers out of 45, right, and it doesn't matter what order they come out in, that's about a one in eight million chance of winning. Mm. If you then do that, you've got to pick those six numbers and then a Powerball, a specific ball that you've got to pick, that multiplies those odds by almost 40. So it goes up to 300, one in 300 odd million. Didn't you tell me once the odds of winning the lotto compared to Driving to and from the shop. You're more likely to get killed in a road accident driving to and from the shops than you are to win the lotto. <laughs> Invest wisely with the Sleek Geeks. What's up? Twitter time. Yeah! Come on! Twitter! Dr Carl Adam Spencer with you. Another question, Dr Carl, we've been sent at Sleek Geeks, the Twitter account, from Justin Hobson. Mm-hmm. Justin the Snarky, he calls himself. Sleek Geeks, do you think it's possible to have completely autonomous transport, e.g. with tech like Google Cars and Amazon Prime? Completely autonomous transport, Carl. Yes, and it leads to moral problems. Okay. Well, let's go back. We'll get to that in a second. We have, we, we've, had, we've had driverless cars that have gone across America, yes? They've been building it up year by year, and gradually the combination of 
sensing what the world is doing around you and reading the road as well as reading the speed signs and dealing with the oncoming traffic and then making the car go in a straight path and not go off the road has got to the stage now where autonomous cars can virtually be allowed into today's traffic. So that, that we have that not the law, but there's technology that you could just let an autonomous car loose on the Pacific Highway in Sydney at the moment between Chatswood and Hornsby and it would get there without any trouble? Yeah, there, there, there are a few states in the USA where they are now legal to drive. But this leads to moral problems. What, what is the moral problem that has led to with an autonomous car? Well, suppose you're driving your autonomous car, or you are a passenger. You're sitting in it while it's driving itself. And you are driving across a narrow bridge. You are solving some sort of mathematical problem. Mm. Coming the other way is a school bus. Mm-hmm with 50 children, with varying little cute animals on their laps, Mm. driven by nuns and people of various religious persuasions. So there's multiple... uh, There's no one driving my car. And nobody driving the other one. Oh, okay. For a second there, there were multiple nuns driving Mm. it. Okay, so it's it's a... It's an autonomous bus. Mm, okay, mm. yes, with multiple nuns and kids mm. with small furry animals. Yes. Why, I, where's, then, where's the moral problem And here? then the bus blows a tyre. Right. The only way it can stay on the bridge is by using all of the road, and so your car decides that for the greater moral good, you shall plummet, you shall drive through the handrail and plummet 100 metres to die on the rocks below. For the greater good, so that 50 people, cute little kids with blonde hair, mm. as well as ducks and nuns and various other people will survive. So 50 people survive rather than you survive. If you, if you survive, they die. Only one car, could, only one vehicle can make it through. Is, is there a switch I can press to stop my car <laughs> thinking about it? But you're not, look, cars, my, there aren't cars at the moment that would interpret that situation and make that decision. Well, we're getting closer, and that, that will have to come in because at some stage, if two cars are going to run into each other, mm. so a, a decision will have to be made. So in aeroplanes, they have a thing called TCAS, Travel Collision Avoidance System. System, I'm guessing. And so if two planes happen to be in the same... Uh, flight path, uh, heading uh, same elevation, heading towards each other, the computers will talk to each other and the, the pilot gets a command, go up, go down, and they know that when that command comes through, a voice command, to obey it because the computers have talked to each other. If they both try to go up, both try to go down, they can run into each other. So the computers have talked to each other on the planes and have said, hey, look, I'm going to go up, you go down. Okay, now let's tell our owners what to do. Wow. So even yeah. even if it goes against the pilot's instinct or they were thinking of going the other way... They know what to do. If the they computer know. makes the call, you follow the computer. You follow immediately, whenever the TCAS goes off. And so this is going to happen in cars. Mm. Or what if you suddenly decide that you take over somebody else's system and you pretend that you are, in fact, an emergency vehicle because you really want to get home with that hamburger or pizza hot for the kids. Mm. And so you then type in a little bit of code and suddenly the road opens in front of you, all the traffic lights change. Mm. Think that you're an ambulance on a life-saving mission. So you're suggesting that's what the nuns in the school bus with the kids with the furry animals on their laps are going to do. Mm. I think my wife has a TCAS. <laughs> Sometimes she just says, I just go, yes, yes, no trouble. You've been listening to the Sleek Geeks podcast with me, Adam Spencer, and you... The young and incredibly handsome Carl Krasinski. Yeah, let's just leave it at Dr. Carl. Keep following us at Sleek Geeks on Twitter. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Sleek Geeks.